you have to take a short-term hit a lot of times, uh, especially when you're just starting off with, a, you know, you have a very mature product, legacy, it's been around for a couple of decades. It's going to be hard to, to replace that. Your customers aren't going to want a part of a product, right? So how's that strategy look like where you're able to slowly phase in a new product and phase out up an old one? Uh, and what does that overlap look like? How long will it take to pay off? And being very, very clear to not only your stakeholders, but also your team on 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 why uh, this is so impactful. If you're a tech leader looking to learn today's best practices for leading high-functioning teams, you're in the right spot. In each episode, we learn from today's top tech leaders as they share their successes, their failures, and their lessons learned along the way. I'm Debbie Madden, and this is the Scaling Tech Podcast, your blueprint for scaling tech teams. Let's dive in. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Scaling Tech Podcast. I am your host, Debbie Madden. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Nick Maiello about high-performing product and technology organizations. So, hey, Nick, thanks for being with us today. So a little bit about Nick before we jump in. Uh, so Nick is a co-founder and CTO of Chargely. And prior to that, he was a vice president of software engineering for a global utilities company. He's got a range of experience from starting technology companies to scaling out multiple digital transformations across industries, including things like consumer travel and, and e-commerce. Uh, his resume uh, includes companies like Hopper, Wayfair, National Grid, and Sabre. And more recently, he's starting companies including Chargely and Rody. So we're going to jump right in. So the first question I have for you, Nick, is so how can companies effectively embrace the role of product and technology powerhouse uh, in today's digital landscape? Yeah, so embracing P&T, product and technology, means embracing a customer-centric approach. Understanding the priorities of the customers comes first, and using you do this by using customer feedback and data analytics. So if you're about to embark on the digital transformation journey, the way that I break up this into a strategy is a data-driven decision-making, cross-functional teams, and culture. So a data-driven organization is utilizing data and analytics uh, and, and business intelligence to make better, more informed decisions, uh, validate hypothesis, lower risk on investment, prioritizing ROI, and of course, measurable goals. Uh, the what, the why, and the how is so important. So like, what are we working on and why? Using the data to be able to identify those. And ultimately, especially if you're working on something that you know have a very a passionate team, emotion can, can oftentimes take over. So this allows you and your company to remove that emotion and, and focus more on the scientific decision-making. Cross-functional teams in a product and technology organization, this is product managers, design uh, designers, engineers, and data scientists. Collaboration across these areas is essential for a successful product development team. I like to call it the product triad. So this is product design and engineering. And it's the balance of these three working together uh, so product managers is the, the science of identifying the what and the why uh, through, like I was saying, customer research and data, uh, especially at a larger organization, listening to customers uh, is, is really only half the battle. You also need to take this data and, and not only use it to be able to prioritize, but also manage your stakeholder uh, and stakeholder buy-in much more effectively. Designers, of course, focusing on the user experience and engineering, uh, you know, a big focus that, that, I, that I put on, especially when you're first starting out, 
uh, is empowering the engineering team to be both architects and developers and be responsible of owning the how. So how are, how are we building the technology? Um, I think most importantly, though, when it comes to teams and, and team dynamics is building a strong leadership team that understands product and technology first off. Uh, people leadership is, is only half the battle. Uh, we're seeing a lot of companies moving away from the general leader. Uh, they need to be experts in their craft. Being an expert in your craft, it lowers risk because you're able to make the decisions at layers of scale, but you also will build a team where your team will, will trust their, their leadership team and be able to also remove noise and distractions. The culture side of it is, uh, you know, how does your company value success? Uh, how do they measure and, and value success? Uh, by the end of the day, that's everything that, that, that pushes your team into having the infinite mindset versus the finite m mindset. Uh, and, and how are you empowering teams? Uh, ground up companies, a, a lot of times you hear, you know, like at Google, uh, the, the decisions are made at the ground level. And that is true to some extent, but, but every successful company has a strategy and they use a strategy through, you know, OKRs, KPIs from the top down to be able to better align your organization. So although you definitely want to make the decisions that the decisions need to be made at the team level, they're still following some kind of guardrails because of how the goals for the company are set. So ensuring that they understand the what and the why via a very well-structured um, uh, alignment strategy, uh, it, it, it empowers them to make better decision-making at that level. Uh, that, and then of course, uh, uh, in innovation culture, investing in, in R and D, how, uh, how do you, how do you handle disagreements, uh, you know, leveraging neurodiversity, uh, things like that. Everyone has a different way of solving problems. So how do we leverage everyone's opinions in the most effective way possible? Uh, and I think lastly, that one is educating on, on the why. So educating your team, bringing them through that journey of, of not just what you're working on, but understanding why it's so important and the business impact. Yeah, I mean, you said so much there, um, and I'm, I'm tempted to dive in and ask you our questions, but I think the big takeaway here is there are these these pillars of success, and you really want to be focusing on, like, keep an eye on each one of them, um, right? Because even though there's many plates spinning, if you really kind of take your eye off the ball of any one of these pillars, then, um, you know, uh, you know, everything gets harder, right? And you talked a lot about the why, and it is it is repeating that, right? Like it's you can't. It, it, I, I find that the why is is so important, um, and it, it becomes so important to the group. The more important we talk about it, right? Because people start to resonate it, embrace it, and make it their own, and that makes um, you know everyone use those the, that culture um, and that data to move forward with the how and the what. Um, so I love that. Um, so you, you ended talking a little bit about culture. So how can, you know, um, you talked about innovation culture, but how can a culture of big picture thinking, which is, you know, another way of thinking about innovation, benefit software engineering solutions? Yeah. So you can't make an informed decision in the short term without thinking big picture and the long-term impact. A lot of times companies that, uh, especially when they're very big, have, you know, stakeholders, the board. Um, they need to be focused on, you know, their quarterly uh, impact and, and ROI. A lot of times it's very difficult for them to to zoom out. But if you don't zoom out, you're not going to be able to make informed decisions on on the now. 
and a lot of times you're going to need to take a hit in the short term, even though no one, you know, we don't want to talk about that part, but um, you have to take a short term hit a lot of times, uh, especially when you're just starting off with, you know, you have a very mature product legacy. It's been around for a couple of decades. Uh, it's going to be hard to, to replace that. Your customers aren't going to want a part of a product, right? So how's that strategy look like where you're able to slowly phase in a new product and phase out an old one? Uh, and what does that overlap look like? How long will it take to pay off? And being very, very clear to not only your stakeholders, but also your team on 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 why uh, this is so impactful. So you're not going to be able to do that and have a, a, a well thought out plan if you're not zooming out and 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 looking at it from at least a five, you know, minimum three, uh, but re- realistically it should be five plus years down the road. And And also without that, that lens, that three to five year lens or three to 10 year lens, it's very easy to um, misconstrue that short term hit as the need to pivot when you're like, no, we we forecast that we expect this and still we're staying the course. So you're balancing that like long term strategic planning with being iterative. And that I think I've seen a lot of teams get stuck in there. So right, if you're really constantly driving towards that long term vision, it those bumps in the road, they're not going to be exactly as forecasted, but you will get comforted by that they are they are forecasted and expected, and to stay the course right and iterate along the way. But but there are some short term hits that I think I've I've seen that happen time and again. Um, so switching gears a little bit, you know, talking about how we can really form um, a culture of you know product and technology at the center of innovation and um, and making the organization accountable for this, um, you know, in a, in a weird way, like the reliance on off-the-shelf solutions has evolved, right? And this is, again, like this is something that technology leaders grapple with, you know, for decades and will continue. But why do you, th- why do you think that there is a need to shift towards custom-built cutting-edge technologies? And like, and I guess also like how, like, it's probably not black and white, right? So like, what's your thinking around, you know, off the shelf versus custom built? Yeah, this is definitely not a binary decision. It's not yeah. always buy or always build. Uh, I've, I've, you know, led a, a, a lot of digital transformations, but also been there as a uh, advising for digital transformations. And in every single one of them, um, this, the senior leadership team, uh, will confuse this this topic actually, and a lot of times think it's it's all or nothing. Uh, but no, it's it's more making better, more informed decisions on where to purchase to add efficiencies and uh, cost opportunities. You know, historically, people have com- companies that have made decisions to to purchase off the shelf because it's been you know faster time to market and cost effective, definitely in the short term, not always long term, uh, because it's saved on development time. It also standardized certain business needs, uh, so it's easier for companies to implement com- common business functions. And uh, oftentimes, so as a side note, oftentimes uh, these products also are leveraging your customers' data to build a better product for themselves. So, so they're the ones really ultimately in the long run operating as a product technology organization. Uh, but you were seeing companies move over to uh, custom technology uh, for a lot of different reasons, U- uniqueness, competitive edge, uh, scalability to, to be able to grow your, your company in, in your own way, integration so that it could work with your already existing legacy technologies possibly, 
Um, and it's, it's easier to integrate with multiple different types of systems. And it's not just one off the shelf to out of the box uh, solution for, for everything. Flexibility, and then back to what I was saying earlier, data, data ownership. So for me, the decision is if you're, if there's a product or, or you're considering purchasing a product and that product fills your primary customer needs, at that point, you should, you should really consider, do you want to build that and invest? Because that's going to be, that's your primary company's, you know, the reason why that, they, their company exists. So you're going to have it for a long time. Do you want to own that software and that data and be able to scale that out? and then focus your purchasing power on other products to add to efficiencies. So in, in more modern uh, technology organizations, we do make purchases, but we're purchasing things like like GitHub or Jira or AWS. These, these are areas that one adds major efficiencies to your team's dynamics and process, but also uh, to how quickly you could bring things to market and takes away that uh, risk where you don't need to worry about building that technology but it lets you own and you own more efficiently your primary customer's needs. Right, right. And what do, what do you think about um, kind of um, starting off with buying off the shelf um, and then moving towards custom build for an area that is solving your customer's primary need, right? You, you do hand over some of that control and some of that customer um, data in the short term um, is there ever an, a situation where you might kind of say, okay, ultimately that long-term five-year vision, I want to own this piece of my platform, but for a year, I might want to not own it. Is that ever a viable solution? Like, oh, yeah, I, it, 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 it has to be. A lot of times I think it has to be, especially if you've purchased everything. And I believe that the question was, um, is, is it okay to take a short-term impact on owning the data or purchasing for a long-term opportunity, uh, absolutely, and I, and I think it needs to be a, a primary part of the strategy for, for for many companies. Yeah, yeah, and I you know I've talked about this concept of build, borrow, or buy, right? And borrow to me means you know use a third-party outsourced company, right? Yeah. Because you might not want to buy off the shelf, but you might also not have the bandwidth or the skill set to build it custom, right? So is there's that third option as well. But, you know, I, I have seen a lot of technology leaders successfully kind of iterate their way through that decision tree multiple times. So, um, And that's the key, technology leaders. So it, it, it almost always comes back to the leadership team. Yeah. Yeah. Having a strong, empowered leadership team, but also experts at their craft to, to understand the decisions and the impact of the decisions that they're making right. uh, is, is so important throughout this entire process. Yes, yes. Um, and, the, you know, we're, we're, I don't want to go into a rabbit hole, but, um, you know, the technology leadership, uh, sometimes companies get stuck when the, the needs of the business scale faster than their initial technology leadership team. And I think this skill set of being able to correctly identify, build, borrow, buy for the long term is a key skill set of the technology leadership, especially as you get bigger, right? So, okay, this leads us perfectly into my next question. Um, so when, when, when hiring talent, right, what qualities and skills should companies and the individual at those companies look for when hiring talent to navigate the changing landscape of technology? It changes throughout the whole process. But when I'm first starting to scale out teams, and especially in a round of digital transformation, I focus on passion. Uh, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Like one, you, you can't train passion. 
you could teach skill sets, especially if you have a strong leadership team. Also, with passion, oftentimes do come um, experts in, in their craft. But uh, I focus a lot on real passion, but a good mix of um, experience and high energy individuals. So people that are able to leverage existing experience, um, put pressure on existing experience, because it's not just about hiring new people. It's also about how do we best leverage skills that are already within the organization, because there are a lot of holes, right? There, there are a lot of uh, issues to be uncovered. And so how do we best empower those individuals to solve the problems that they have been complaining about over the past few years, which then brings us to uh, engineering leadership again. Leadership is a, always a, a common theme throughout all of this is strong leaders that are able to pass on the success uh, and take the brunt of failure. Uh, these are these are very hard, right? So digital transformations are, are not easy. Um, and so a team that's able to make sure that they're keeping the momentum with the team but then when there's failure, take the brunt of that to not lose traction from within the team. Um, and winning hearts and minds. Uh, I, I have learned that the hard way early on uh, about hearts and minds. And uh, a lot of times you see companies that, you know, just hire in new talent. They, you know, have a, a, a new solution and they just start plowing through with a new solution, not realizing all the technical debt and, and um, issues behind. And if you don't get uh, win the hearts and minds of existing employees um, and leadership that can do that effectively and communicate the why to, to these employees, then you're going to have a hard time and uh, probably not nearly as efficient as you could have been. Right, right, right. And and I've, I've even I've even seen companies where, um, you know, the why you can have the, the, the heart and mind of some some individuals who you know, if the why evolves, decides, listen, I, I respect you. Um, I don't, I don't want to be on this this journey anymore with you, right? And that's ultimately good for the organization, right? You want people that are passionate around where the direction you're heading, right? And so it's not about pleasing all the people all the time. It's about making sure that you know as many people as possible are really along that journey with you as you evolve on it, right? Yeah, so I, I've introduced a new interview process and in, in every company I've joined to, to, to lead digital transformations. Uh, and a primary part of that inter interview process is focusing on behavioral. Uh, so using, uh, I'd like star um, situation analysis type type questions to be able to identify like, how do they um, handle conflict and how do they leverage conflict with disagreements to be able to come up with the best decisions possible. That's great. I want to get that. I want to get that script from you later. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So, you know, shifting over to data and AI, which is a massive, obviously, topic. We're not going to cover all of that topic right now. But yeah. um, with, you know, data, AI, and even generative AI, like how does the influence of data and, AI and CEOs specifically evolved over the past decade and like why is it so important for ceos to grasp these concepts right now um i think many of so us the, understand that things are changing very fast but yeah what's your take on that i would say really the benefits it's it's more or less the same for a ceo as every other individual it's the same tools available however for a ceo they are the they set an example for the entire company but also the other executives within the organization so 
I would say that's why it's so important for a CEO to understand and, and grasp these concepts uh, and, and opportunities uh, to to push a team to utilize certain certain tools. Um, it's it's kind of like uh, you, you know when you're writing an email and you have autocomplete and it says, yeah. "Oh, do you want? Is this the rest of your sentence?" Yeah. AI has been around for a while. That that's a feature that's been around for a while. So we we've had these tools. It's just it's just now to a much more extreme uh, with the introduction of like, uh, you know, ChatGPT is a, a popular one. And if a CEO or anybody uh, is not leveraging these tools, we're missing out on on some big opportunities for efficiencies. It's like uh, choosing to use a typewriter or freehand instead of writing an essay or doing calculations on a computer. And so if you're not u- using these efficiencies, somebody else, another CEO at another company that may be in the same industry is going to be using and therefore going to be more efficient, more cost effective, uh, or even a small startup is going to be able to come and sweep through for a fraction of the cost because you did not responsibly leverage the tool. So I would say at its most simplest form, it's it's all about uh, efficiencies and 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 uh, being able to offload this more, your some of your efforts more efficiently. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that question and the, your answer to yeah. that question change next year because that's been, you know, that's so much true now than ever, right? And so, like, at, at Stride, like, we've got our people team using uh, generative AI and our finance team and our, you know, sales team. And it's not yeah. only our tech team, but everybody is really kind of using the tooling in a smart way to help them focus on the things where you really need that human in the loop. So in college today, I think that they should be teaching this stuff because uh, these are these are tools like spell correct and things like that that have just become such everyday tools. Um, but you actually do hear about colleges right now pushing away on AI. Uh, I'll tell you, I, I use AI and these tools every single day. Copilot for, for rival code, uh, generating components within technology stacks and not having to build basic templates and just letting the AI handle it. And then, you know, you focus on the the more difficult, complex issues. Uh, and then even, you know, writing emails, ChatGPT. I, I, have, I will always have Copilot and ChatGPT open on, on my machines. I'm sure that's a majority of folks, in the, especially in the tech industry, but even without right now. Um, so, all right. So uh, that leads me to wonder about... Um, Mark, Mark Andreessen's prediction, uh, I, I, I yeah. don't even want to take a guess of what year he said it because I feel like it was longer ago than I think in my head. But when he said, you know, software is eating the world, um, which many are familiar with. 2011. Um, yeah. Oh, 2011. Okay. Uh, okay. That's, I would have guessed it earlier. So that's good to know. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, how is this prediction about software dominating the various sectors right now, do you think, relating to the current realities? I mean, 2011. Yeah, it, it doesn't seem like it's that long ago, but but you know, think about where we were in, in 2011. Mobile, I think iOS, Apple, uh, iPhone came out in 2008 or around that area. So so really, it was still pretty early on with a lot of this stuff. Um, I mean, that prediction that that article is one of many uh, that that covered this topic, and it's pretty much came out. Uh, almost all of it has completely come to fruition. And this is thanks to, you know, digital transformations, AI, mobile apps, data-driven decisions was a big part of that as well. And like we've talked about, you know, previously already so much is how important data-driven decisions uh, are. 
and learning data. So I would say that, I mean, it's basically entirely come, come true. Uh, every company, I think that the phrase, a technology organization is a, it's a dated terminology. I, I, I don't think when we say technology organization today, even though we're saying that what we really mean is a cutting edge technology organization. Really every, every org needs to, has to be a technology organization and be confident with their ability to make technical decisions. Or like I said earlier, a small startup company is going to come, you know, sweep through for a fraction of the cost or uh, a larger, you know, company can just make a decision to take over your space. So I think that from, for the article, it's, it's almost entirely come true. Uh, and we're just, you know, just started uh, on this. Okay. So I want to, I want to kind of use the last few minutes of our chat to really kind of all these lessons that you've learned over your career to date. Um, you are now like in the driver's seat. You have recently started and joined, um, a company called Chargely as co-founder and CTO. So now all, you know, you know, uh, now it's time for you to put these learnings to, to the test yet again, right? Because you've been been implementing the yeah. learnings and iterating, of course, along the way. But so, um, I know Chargely is relatively new, but tell me, tell me, like, how's it going? What stage it's at? Tell us a little bit about Chargely. Yeah, so I uh, I started I joined Chargely, uh, a, a startup, as co-founder and CTO. Chargely, so at its core, just quick context setting, it's a recommendations engine for EV travelers to find charging stations. Uh, for us in, in that space is the gamification. And we use that gamification to give now and accurate uh, uh, recommendations for, for EV travelers. We released our beta in sep- mid-September, so month and a half ago with 40 users and went into production shortly after um, and now have 300 active users. So we've been in production for about two weeks and have 300 active users. So moving very quickly, uh, we are at uh, early stage startup, um, but have had incredibly good signs this far of uh, market validation through customer data and, and analytics. We have been bootstrapping this far, so it's been fully funded by the co-founders, uh, which is amazing considering how much we've actually accomplished. Like I said, production for two weeks, and we just started angel angel uh, fundraising and have been getting some some pretty good traction there. So uh, we choose who we're doing uh, work with pretty carefully, including investors. Uh, but if anyone is passionate about the space and interested uh, in connecting on the topic, feel free to reach out to me on, on LinkedIn or uh, nickmiello at chargely.app. Excellent. Uh, so two questions for you, and then we'll kind of wrap up. Um, so, you know, I'm curious, one or two kind of high points around how this experience is different from a large enterprise organization. There are definitely a lot of uh, differentiators, a lot of similarities, but a lot of differentiators. The simplest, uh, I would say it's uh, being lean and fast in a startup. At a larger company, you already have your customer base, you're more mature, um, but how you're leveraging the data to be lean, you're, you're very focused on lean and fast and making sure that you're making the right technical decisions to move fast, but not adding too much technical debt. Uh, so that way your team can continue to move efficiently, but also be able to leverage certain uh, technologies later on down the road uh, for, for, for better um, functionality. And 
I think uh, while while larger companies have the luxury of being able to use data, and they have a, a lot of, of customer data, uh, they can focus on you know failing failing faster. Uh, using failures and innovation for for uh, the future of their products. At a startup company, you really need to make sure that every single dollar goes a long way. Because if you aren't building a product for your customers, then your customers aren't going to use it. So at a larger company, you have a product, you might have some some cool innovative ideas that either they use it or they don't. At a startup company, you, you need to 100% listen to the customers and leverage that data to be able to build something that they're going to use. So that that takes priority over everything, because if they don't use it, you're not going to have a company for, for very long. Yes, that is true. <laughs> it's a scary truth, but also I do I yeah. do believe that that efficient like that that efficiency driven by necessity is very powerful, right? So it's it's it might seem scary, and also it's it's a very powerful way to really focus on the things that matter. Tying back to all of the lessons uh, we talked about at the beginning of the chat. And so just, just I'm curious just to wrap up. So, you know, obviously EV is very hot these days. There's a lot of vehicles and, and charging stations are, are kind of getting longer battery time. There's more of them popping up everywhere. So how is Chargely different from what's already on the market? Yeah. Uh, so Chargely is a one-stop shop for everything EV. Um, it's not tied to one manufacturer or network. So that already takes actually a good amount of the, the other solutions uh, off the table. We have everything like, you know, we support Tesla, Rivian, EVgo, ChargePoint, uh, every single charging station, small, large. Uh, and, you know, a big advantage that we've had is that we are not the first to market. There, there are benefits being first to market, but in this space, it has been moving so quickly that we've been able to, to learn from a lot of the mistakes that from, from solutions that have been, you know, trying to support the, all the networks and all the manufacturers. So I would say a big differentiator is how we structure our data. We're structured on performance and generative AI at its core. Uh, the space has evolved so quickly that two plus years in the space has has added a lot of technical debt on, on, on these companies. And the structuring the data is so important to add to it, engineering efficiencies, but also market opportunities. You know, when you're when you're charging your EV. You're going to be there for a little while, longer than than filling up a gas tank, and so our recommendations engine takes everything into account. This is not just saying, "Oh, this this station or this station on your travel." This is, well, this station, this station to get from A to B. But you're traveling with kids, or you have a pet, or you might be hungry, need to use the restroom. All of these things are where uh, you don't want to be stuck in a parking lot in the middle of the night with the lights off, um, charging. You know, or is it raining? Um, these, these, a lot of these stations, most of them don't have covers. And so we take everything into account when we're giving recommendations to make sure that you're able to take the mo best advantage of your time while you're charging. Uh, so, you know, we use this on our way down to Miami and we didn't even, we didn't even notice really that we were charging because we would, every single time we stopped, we were able to do, um, something in the area, right? We would, whether it was eating or, uh, and a big, a big difference going to the gamification that was one of the first things i mentioned early on is uh the user interface so it's brand new today's standards and uh there there are other products um around that you know have been around for a few years uh but we're the only ones that are gamifying it's it's similar to how Waze gamifies navigation 
And so we're able to make it more interesting for users to be able to, you know, give us the data, but also it's, it's more interactive. So the data that we have that we could leverage to add to the recommendations is very uh, consistent. So, you know, data can go stale in these areas very quickly. Or if you're having an issue with a charger, an hour later, it could be working again because it did an over-the-air update. So the gamification really has given us a, a pretty big opportunity here to have that more up-to-speed uh, uh, data. You know, I'm really excited for the roadmap. Uh, most of our competition, I think, has, has gone stale uh, because they've either been purchased by larger organizations uh, or not, and, and, and therefore not really operating as a, a proper PNT organization. Uh, but we've only just begun. We've been in production for two weeks. No, that's, that's and, wild. uh, yeah, we've, uh, there's a lot of big features, uh, coming as well based on the first week of, of data utilization. Um, we've had some really good feedback and, and some good interaction with customers, but also being a watching the data we've identified a lot of opportunity for us to to leverage for 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 the 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 next feature sets. That's awesome. Well, I wish you the best of luck. Um, I really loved this conversation. Sadly, we're at the end. Um, thank you for everything from sharing with us about um, a little peek under the hood in uh, underneath Chargely, and also all of the tips and lessons learned over um, uh, many many uh, companies over many many years. I really appreciate you being with us here, and uh, thank you so much, everybody. Have a great day. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, take care. Hey, everyone. If you've enjoyed today's episode, remember to subscribe, give it five stars, and more importantly, share it with someone that you think will benefit from listening. And remember, as always, think about the one to two key takeaways that you can apply today to help you and your team achieve your goals. Until then, keep iterating.